The following Taisho by Shinge Roshi, Roko Sheri Shayat, was recorded at the Zen Center of Syracuse Hoenji in Syracuse, New York. These recordings are offered for free. We welcome your financial support. To contribute and for further information, please visit www.zencenterofsyracuse.org. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. I see some new faces here today. Are you here from the class? Are you here from one of the colleges or universities that surround us? From Oswego. Not for a class, just because you want to be here. Wonderful. You too? How about you? You've been here before. And you? I'm glad you're here today. And I'm glad all of the rest of you are here today, too. It's nice to see you again. So last uh, Sunday, I was in New York City at New York Zendo for a one-day retreat and gave a talk for Parinirvana Day, and we commemorated Parinirvana Day here on Thursday evening. Parinirvana means the final passing of Shakyamuni Buddha. No more to return in human form. Finished with samsara. Birth and death done. The rest of us may have a few lifetimes ahead of us. But his teachings are so vividly alive. And that's the important thing. Teachers come and go, come and go, come and go. The teachings are what we are here to realize. The Buddha had a disciple named Ananda. Ananda served Shakyamuni Buddha as his attendant for 23 years. Today is your first day. (laughs) 23 years. There was such deep feeling between Shakyamuni Buddha and his attendant. And so when he was about to pass away, of course Ananda was devastated. The thought of losing his beloved teacher was really more than he could bear. And he said, what should we do? Shakyamuni Buddha said, You have everything you need. What I have taught is alive in you. And we started off this morning's service with Atadipa, 
these words of the Buddha as he was passing to his disciples. You are the light. Do not doubt. Light of the Dharma. Refuge of the Dharma. There is no other light. There is no other refuge. It's not something out there. It's not something that you are attaching to me to find. You must find it within yourself. Light of the Dharma. Refuge of the Dharma. And Ananda was really an extraordinary human being because he was able to remember every single word that the Buddha had taught, not only during his 23 years as his attendant, but even before. He had some amazing, very highly developed intuitive mind, and he was able to convey all of the teachings that the Buddha ever gave even down to the actual gestures that were made while he was teaching, the expressions on his face. So Ananda became a vessel after the Buddha passed away and was able to share in this vivid way every single teaching with the other disciples. And yet, he had not realized for himself. They were the teachings of the Buddha, and still they had some gap for him. Like a great actor, for example, may play a role and embody that role and be so convincing in that role. But still there may be a hair's breadth of difference between that actor and the character being portrayed. All of you know when someone has completely become the person being portrayed, how powerful that is, right? Very rare. So Ananda did not receive transmission from Shakyamuni Buddha. That transmission, the first transmission, was given to Mahakashapa, the great Kashapa. So in case 22 of the Mumankan, the collection of koans called the Gateless Barrier, Ananda goes to Mahagashapa, still feeling bereft, even being able to 
convey these teachings, still feeling something is missing in me. He goes to Mahagashapa and he says, the world-honored one gave you the golden robe. What is the golden robe? A symbol of transmission, all right? So you may say, okay, this is a symbol of transmission. He gave you the golden robe. Did he give you anything else? Was there something else? How many of you feel in your lives that there's something else that you haven't quite penetrated? I hope you all feel that way. It's really what's required for our practice to feel something to have deep motivation this requires requires is there something else what am I missing you may even feel if you've been practicing for a long time that you've been going through the motions and yet something You may have had some very deep experiences, as Ananda surely had, and yet something. So in this koan, he asks this question. Ananda! Kashapa. Cried out. Yes! Ananda responded. Right there, right there, in that very moment, that something else was revealed and fully understood. Now, that doesn't make sense, does it, to our logical minds? What happened? This guy who had transmission from Buddha is asked a question, was there something else? And he calls the questioner's name, and suddenly the questioner says, yes, and gets it. What's that all about? Then you might say, what am I missing? Is there something else? Kashapa then says to Ananda, knock down the flagpole at the gate. Knock down the preaching pole. This flag was erected on the pole every time the teacher would be giving a teaching. So, for example, today out on Seneca Turnpike, there is a flag. 
So, someone in this room may have suddenly received this teaching completely intimately. Yes! Okay, then. Go out there and knock it down. The Buddha's last words, inspiring confidence. You have what it takes, right? You are the light itself. You are the Dharma itself. Someone might have some kind of misunderstanding and think, well, that's cool. I don't need to go sit. I don't need a teacher. I have what it takes. And now I can go teach others. But along with this teaching, very important aspect of our Zen Buddhist path going all the way back these 2,600 years is this mind-to-mind transmission and acknowledgement. Disciple is acknowledged by teacher. Yes, you fully understand. This is an important thing for us to keep in mind. Transmission. The discipline of our practice. The training that we must undergo. Even after having some wonderful experience. To continue our training. To refine and Deepen our understanding is essential. When the Buddha gave Mahakashapa transmission, he held up a flower to the assembly and said nothing. And the only person who responded was Mahakashapa, who smiled. And then the Buddha said, I have the true Dharma eye. The marvelous mind of nirvana, the true form of the formless, and the subtle dharma gate, independent of words and transmitted beyond doctrine. This I now entrust to Mahakashapa. This I now entrust 
God was this? What about this marvelous mind of nirvana? What about the teachings of Buddha that have been transmitted through the ages? And how can we be sure the Buddha saw Mahakashapa smile and in that smile it was revealed. Mahakashapa called Ananda's name. In hearing his name he understood after all those years. What happens when you hear your name? Something. When someone calls your name. You may have some even marginal glimmer. There's some kind of recognition, right? To hear your name if your mind is completely open with nothing in the way. Such a simple thing. Of course, Ananda had practiced, had trained for many decades. It could have been anything. It would have been his name. The sound of a snowflake falling would have been it. Anything. That's what we're doing here. Training so that this moment comes and we can say, yes. And we can live the teachings, the marvelous mind of nirvana. And we can feel the incomparable joy of knowing that there is no gap between what is called self, this self recognized by this name being called, so-called self and so-called other. No gap. So this anything else, we might say, if we had to put it into words, what did Shakyamuni Buddha give? We might say, fully awakening to natural loving-kindness, 
The mind, each mind is one mind, fully awakening to this mind of deeply seeing, deeply feeling what this moment holds. What is asked of us? We know, not just from Buddha's teachings, we know personally that suffering exists. All beings have times in which they are gripped by suffering. Humans seem to have more complex forms of suffering than other beings. I think about my dog, and she's pretty happy as long as I'm around. And if I'm not there, her aunties and uncles in the sangha will do. She wants her food. She wants to have a place to sleep that's warm and dry, and that's pretty much it. Humans have a very complex awareness, consciousness, and easily feel dissatisfied. Easily think, is there something else? What am I missing? As I said, it's a wonderful thing that we feel this so that we can train in these ways to awaken. But Every now and then, you really come up against the extremes of what we are capable of. For this, we have to read the New York Times. (laughs) Buddhist scriptures are important, but our own time gives us what we need to ponder. So whether you read the New York Times or some other intelligent, there aren't too many, the New Yorker, something like that. So in last week, the style section of last Sunday, there was an article under the category of cultural studies titled, Don't tell me. I don't want to know. And it was about the way everybody is so overloaded, bombarded by everyone else's detailed lives, whether you watch Oprah or some reality TV. I've never seen a reality TV show, but I just think it's so funny that they call this virtual existence of basically vomiting up your problems, reality TV. So in this article, this Pamela Paul says, I, like most people, have become inundated with too much information about the people I know and the people I wish I didn't know, but I'm now acquainted with. It's as if we're all trapped at a permanent reunion with everyone we ever bumped into at a street fair or waved to mistakenly in the cafeteria. (laughs) 
Whether it's via Twitter, Facebook, Foursquare, LinkedIn, email, or some other form of internet connectedness, the latest headlines from your super successful frenemy from high school, the boss who fired you and the awful 14-year-old boy your daughter is in love with are now in your face. Last month, you may remember this, Google, Google announced that posts from its Google Plus member profiles would be sprawled across the company's search results. Searching for the phrase yellow bikini, for example, you might see a snapshot of your former English teacher on the beach in Aruba. A Google spokesman asserts that the program is designed to combat the faceless web. The faceless web? Seriously? More like the web of too many faces. So it goes on in that vein. And then, very interesting couple of statements that, as I said, this is representing one extreme. Someone named Maura Kelly, a co-author of Much Ado About Loving, What Our Favorite Novels Can Teach You About Date Expectations, Not-So-Great Gatsby's, and Love in the Time of Internet Personals, says... Other people's happiness doesn't bother me unless I've dated them before. And then I'm really disturbed by it. It's a very interesting statement. This is really samsara. Other people's happiness doesn't bother me unless I've dated them before. A study published last month in the journal Cyber Psychology, Behavior, and Social Networking found that the more time people spent on Facebook, the happier they perceived their friends to be and the sadder they felt as a consequence. Okay, so you feel happy. What? Unless, what? You feel happy that other people are having problems, but if they're doing well, you feel unhappy. That's basically the point. So, not everything is that amazingly tied to the chains of samsara. Today, one week later, it's a wonderful story about 60 people all united by kidney donation and receipt. Some time ago, one of our Sangha members who lives some distance away heard that an acquaintance, someone she really didn't know, but I guess through her job, heard that someone needed a kidney. And just in a kind of offhand way, she had herself tested. And it turned out that she was a perfect donor. So, not knowing this person really, she decided, I will give him a kidney. And... 
went through the process of becoming a donor. several things that I wanted to read from this amazing story. Death can arrive in a matter of weeks for many renal patients if they do not have their blood cleansed through dialysis. The process takes almost four hours three times a week and leaves many too drained to work. Only half of dialysis patients survive more than three years. Of course, many of them hope to receive a transplant, but demand for kidneys is far more than number of donors. About 90,000 people are lined up for kidneys. Fewer than 17,000 receive one each year. About 4,500 die waiting And only a third of transplanted kidneys come from living donors. They typically last longer than cadaver kidneys. For kidneys transplanted in 1999, 60% of organs from live donors were still functioning after 10 years, compared with 43% from deceased donors. You may know that the first live kidney was transplanted in 1954 in Boston. Who remembers that? Anybody? Probably some of you weren't born yet. It was three decades before anyone even thought about kidney swaps, and Korean surgeons completed the first exchanges in 1991. They didn't happen here for another decade. So simple swaps among two pairs with the operations performed at the same hospital on the same day quickly evolved into complex exchanges among three pairs and then four and then six. And then in 2007, a transplant surgeon realized that if an exchange began with a good Samaritan who donated to a stranger. And if the operations did not have to be simultaneous, a chain could theoretically keep growing, limited only by the pool of available donors and recipients. And by 2009, two years later, he had strung together a chain of 10 transplants. In February 2011, the desk clerk at a man named Rick Rizamenti's yoga studio told him she had recently donated a kidney to an ailing friend she had bumped into at Target. Mr. Rizamenti, 44, had never even donated blood, but two days later he called Riverside Community Hospital to ask how he might do the same thing. 
halfway around the country, there was a man who was about to die unless he got a kidney. He said it was like being sentenced to prison, as though I had done something wrong in my life and this was the outcome. He then received a kidney, but he didn't get it from Mr. Ruzamenti, not directly. They'll always share a connection. They were the first and last patients in the longest chain of kidney transplants ever constructed, linking 30 people who were willing to give up an organ with 30 who might have died without one. Mr. Rosamendi gave that kidney expecting nothing in return. The momentum was then fueled by a mix of selflessness and self-interest among donors who gave a kidney to a stranger after learning they could not donate to a loved one because of incompatible blood types or antibodies. Their loved ones, in turn, were offered compatible kidneys as part of the exchange. This is such a wonderful example of what we call interconnectedness in Buddhism. Basically, we are all interconnected. We are all donors and recipients. This chain, chain 124 as it was labeled, came about because there was a businessman whose little daughter was dying in need of a kidney. And he was able to put this whole thing together and create this domino chain. And people began giving kidneys, even though the people they wanted to give them couldn't have them. The people who wanted to give them got them from some other person who had given a kidney to someone who couldn't have it. And with the help of very advanced computer algorithms, all of these people were matched. On and on the chain extended with kidneys flying from coast to coast, iced down in cardboard boxes equipped with GPS devices and stowed on commercial aircraft. In a system built on trust, one leap of faith followed another. So this man who had said, I must have done something really wrong. I'm being sentenced to death because of the lack of a kidney that anyone I know can give me. He was the end of the chain that began with this Mr. Rizamenti. He was floored at his remarkable good fortune Having felt unfairly condemned when he was first placed on dialysis, he now wondered what he had done to deserve a gift that 90,000 others needed just as much. As it sank in that his would be the last of 30 interconnected transplants, Mr. Terry began to feel guilty that he would be ending the chain. Is it going to continue? he asked Dr. Milner. 
I don't want to be the reason to stop anything. What a transformation. No, 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 the doctor reassured him. This chain ends, but another one begins. So this is what the Buddha taught, being played out all across this nation and beyond, of course, now that it has been demonstrated by this wonderful man whose daughter needed a kidney and who was a businessman and could figure it all out and knew how to do all of the algorithms. It's demonstrated From this point forward, how we each are integrally related to all others and how whatever one of us does affects all beings. Indeed, the Dhammapada says, you are what you think. Everyone is affected by each thought and each deed that each one of us has and does. Wonderful story. Uh, Is there anything else? Is there anything else? Ananda, yes! Now, knock it down. Act. Become the link you are. It's not just about kidneys, right? Right. Whatever you are called to do, when your name is called, yes! Hike.